Welcome to another episode of 35 West. My name is Margarita Seminario. I am the Deputy Director of the Americas Program at CSIS. How professional the Mexican but are we ready? I don't reform trends in Argentina. Right. And that's what happened. No role at all in the NAFTA negotiation. Welcome to 35 West. Last year, hundreds of Chinese ships were caught fishing off the coast of the Galapagos Islands and in the exclusive economic zones of Ecuador, Peru, and Chile. These events drew international attention to an issue that has been on the rise in Latin America and the Caribbean and throughout the world in the past few years, illegal, unreported, and unregulated fishing. IUU fishing has several detrimental impacts, including overfishing, environmental damage, human rights violations, and drug trafficking. Our guest today is Michael Eddy, the Acting Deputy Assistant Administrator for the LAC Bureau at the U.S. Agency for International Development. Michael, it's truly an honor to host you today. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, good morning, Maggie. Thanks so much for having me here, and uh, thanks to CSIS for organizing this. Much appreciated. Michael, tell us about your career with USAID, your current responsibilities in the agency, and your professional interest in IUU fishing. Oh, thanks, Maggie. So as you mentioned, I'm in, in the uh, Deputy Assistant Administrator spot for our Latin American Caribbean Bureau. So that's sort of a front office overview. Uh, I'm responsible for South America and for our technical programs like uh, environment and climate change, education, um, public health and COVID, et cetera, providing support to our USAID missions throughout the Latin America and Caribbean region. I'm a senior foreign service officer with USAID and I've worked in development for about 30 years, most of that with USAID, about 23 years, but I've also worked with the World Bank and other international development organizations. And my educational focus was in public administration and governance, and I've been able to engage throughout my career on, on sustainable public administration, local government, federal government support, but also on, on environmental issues. I was our director in Brazil most recently, but also I've served in most of our regional bureaus. So I've had the honor to be our mission director in Sri Lanka and Maldives. I, I served in our regional mission for Asia based in Bangkok, Sudan and South Sudan for our Africa Bureau. and. Macedonia, now Mas North Macedonia, and Serbia in our Europe and Eurasia region. And I've worked in um, Central and South America and started my career with AID in Nicaragua, where I got to meet and work with you. So I feel like we're coming full circle and feel like USAID has afforded me a really interesting career and, and global purview that and experience that we're looking to bring to this very challenging issue that you pointed out of illegal, unregulated, and unreported fishing. IUU fishing is a tremendously complex global issue that cuts across human rights, food sustainability, sovereignty, security, among other environmental issues. Michael, please sketch a scene setter for us. Who does IUU fishing impact in Latin America and the Caribbean and how? What does IUU fishing mean in real terms? How does it affect us? Well, thanks, Maggie. It's a good question, complex question, and, and I'll do my best to kind of keep it simple. But it is one of our kind of more challenging and complex development issues. You know, first of all, it, it's a priority. IUU fishing is something that is a priority for the Biden-Harris administration and for USAID writ large that we've been working on for some time. It's challenging in that it spans jurisdictions. So there's IUU fishing impacts domestic fishing industries and fishing stocks, but also 
The most challenging is in the international realm where we rely on international agreements, international treaties, and international law and the enforcement of this. But as you can imagine, it's very complex, and we'll get into a little bit of those complexities, I think, in our conversation. But also, as you mentioned, it's kind of one of our more complex development issues because it touches on so many different sectors. So let's take, you mentioned uh, human rights. And in the space of human trafficking, something that is a priority for our administration to address in Asia, whereas many people recognize and, and of course, are are alarmed by the trauma of human trafficking, human slavery, and and, and sex trafficking, forced labor, that is the biggest, you know, over 90% of the human trafficking cases. And the fishing industry is really one of the most challenging areas. You can imagine working conditions, folks are working in this industry are often for weeks, if not months on end in international jurisdictions. So they're away from security and law enforcement. Their passports and documents are often taken. They have uh, great challenges to enforce any sort of uh, you know contracts or remuneration that they're given. So it really is an industry and a challenge that unfortunately caters to human slavery. And unfortunately, it's often too common. So this is something that, you know, with the Department of Labor and, and with a wide variety of international partners, we're looking to engage and ensure that people do not have to suffer for what amounts to human slavery. You know, it's an environmental issue. Clearly, we've talked about, you know, the challenges of particularly the distant fishing fleets, their use of vast nets in a way that's uh, prohibited by law, the impact that it can have on coral reefs, uh, delicate ecosystems, just the oil dumping, the petrol and the fuel that's often managed in, in unsustainable ways if it's not regulated. And then, of course, the fishing and the unsustainable depletion of fishing stocks and the, the impact that that has on biodiversity and ecosystems. It's clearly an environmental issue as well as a human rights issue. It's a food security issue. So many of the jurisdictions that we work in, and particularly global hotspots like in, in Southeast Asia, Western Africa, in our region, uh, the Western Pacific coast of South America, these are countries and, and economies that depend on fishing stocks for you know the calories that keep people food secure. And it's also an economic security issue because these are countries and markets that depend on the uh, economic benefits from sustainable fishing for their livelihoods. So it's really a complex issue that cuts across our technical sectors. For Latin America and the Caribbean, it's an issue that We've been engaged in for a number of years, but I think the global consciousness was awoken about a year ago at this time when one of our partners was Global Fishing Watch, a non-governmental organization, NGO, was lead in identifying a fleet of 350 distant water fishing vessels that were off the Galapagos Island, a global world heritage site that has some of the most important biodiversity in the world and is conserved. So the menace of this fleet and some of their activities that would be considered illegal, like they're switching off of transponders and the ability to track these fleets was of grave concern and really did rally the international community, the NGO community and governments of the Americas and the United States to call attention to this and to call attention to that a world heritage would not be allowed to be depleted illegally. So this kind of galvanized the international attention But it is something that we, the U.S. government, have been tracking for some time, and it's been a problem for a long time. So, for example, our partner in this space, the U.N. Food and Agriculture Organization, identifies that in 1974, about 90 percent of the fish stocks were considered biologically sustainable. So, you know, you talk about your tuna markets or your cod markets or your shrimp markets. 
those uh, were considered biologically sustainable. But as of the most recent study, 2017, it's down to about 65%. So that is a significant depletion in a very short period of time of the sustainability in how the world manages its fishing stocks. And it's something that's of concern. And you mentioned, you know, pivoting to our region, Latin America and the Caribbean, the numbers are even worse for the, our Pacific Coast stocks. So in, in Colombia, Ecuador, Peru, Chile, it's about 50% of those fishing stocks are considered biologically sustainable. So that means that different species that are relied upon for economic and food security, we've lost nearly half of those uh, to sustainable fishing practice. And if we don't rally the international community to pivot and to change those trends, things are going to get much worse. So it's a, it's a significant concern. We can talk a little bit also about just how it impacts the U.S. and, and our markets. It, it's considered that upwards of 10% of our imports, seafood imports in the United States, around $2.5 billion worth of imports are considered illegal, unregulated, unreported. Um, so it affects U.S. jobs in the fishing industry. It affects uh, U.S. markets directly. So it's, it is something that we need to be aware of uh, and we need to be tracking and it impacts some countries very harshly and it impacts the United States. Michael, what are you seeing as the biggest challenges at present to combating IUU fishing in Latin America and the Caribbean? And are these challenges unique to the Western Hemisphere? The complexity, I think, is not unique to the Western Hemisphere. I think our, our biggest challenge is that it's a twofold problem, right? It's an international problem and it's a domestic problem, and both of them are very complex. So on the domestic front, we work with our partner countries. Let's say Ecuador and Peru are two countries that rely significantly on sustainable fishing. We're working with them and trying to demonstrate how it is in their interest as a domestic fishing fleet to be coordinated, to be regulated, to be reporting, to be tracking, to be monitoring the biodiversity and the sustainability because it's in their long-term economic future. So we're working with domestic fishing industries so that they themselves would not be perpetrators of IUU. And there's some work to be done there. But relatedly, it's our experience that the most effective tool in combating international IUU fishing is a, an empowered and aware domestic fishing industry because they want to protect their sovereignty, their long-term fishing stocks. So the international challenges are vast because we're, as I mentioned, we're dealing with international laws and treaties that are often challenging and difficult to enforce. We're dealing with vast spaces that can be very challenging to track and to monitor uh, the behavior of international fishing fleets. Now they have by participating in the international treaties, they have committed to these distant fishing fleets have committed to keeping their tracking devices on, for example, which is part of, of international law. They've agreed to being monitored for their fishing techniques and the use of netting, et cetera, et cetera. One of the greatest challenges is just being able to enforce those agreements. The good news is that technologies are improving through partners like Global Fishing Watch Partners like the Florida International University, who also are our own Coast Guard, were able to use um, geospatial tracking techniques and, and tools to monitor the behavior of international fishing fleets. And then really the goal is transparency, uh, shedding a light on what is taking place in international waters and in exclusive economic zones so that uh, the world can be aware when there are unsustainable practices taking place. If we were to use a development lens... In your opinion, what is the role of USAID combating IUU fishing? How does 
USAID partner with national governments, NGOs, and, and regional bodies. Do you see this role for USAID evolving? That's a great question. I mean, I, I think that USAID has long recognized and been in the space of understanding that the sustainable management of coastal and marine and freshwater resources is a critical development issue. So I mentioned my experience at our regional mission in Asia that is based in Bangkok that's been at the forefront of this. So we've been working on and engaging and advocating for sustainable fisheries for some time, have looked into ways to track and to monitor biodiversity in the fishing space. I do believe that you know USAID and the US government writ large that we're upping our game to some extent. And I think that we play a role as a lead development agency in connecting the dots, right? Bringing together the partners that are gonna be necessary to make an impact on this unfortunately negative trend on IUU and sustainability of fishing stocks. So, you know, for example, we've invested more than $40 million per year in uh, more than uh, 20 of our missions overseas to engage in this space. There are international agreements, for example, like the Port State Measures Agreement, PSMA, that we're actively working on helping nations that are participating in this act to implement and to enforce its articles. So for what the Port State Measures Agreement is looking at is how do we, from a governance perspective, in our ports, work together to share information with regional fisheries organizations to be able to monitor the behavior of the overseas, the long distance fishing fleets and fishing fleets writ large, understand and not allow ports to be used for refueling or changing of flag registration. Some of the tricks that can be used to buy illegal and unregulated fishing, you know, making sure that more of fishing is in the regulated space. I think, you know, USAID's role in addition to some of the programmatic work that we're doing to help environmental governance, you know, for example, in Ecuador, we are working uh, with our partner, the World Wildlife Fund, to help the environmental governance space, help them ensure that their domestic fishing industries is well-regulated, is sustainable, and working with uh, across countries to help them ensure that their ports are in sync, are, are communicating, so that they can help uh, monitor the behavior of the distance fishing fleets that are generally seen as most responsible for the the depleting fishing stocks. This is where we're connecting these points. We're trying to be an actor engaging with the the UN agencies, international non-governmental organizations, the U.S. government interagency, our own Navy and Coast Guard, our State Department, so that we're able to, uh, when we do have information about IUU fishing practices that we can uh, use diplomatic measures to bring about a a change of behavior. Bringing all this together, we're working on as a U.S. government, a a new global strategy for IUU fishing. So it's about bringing these pieces together, taking advantage of new technologies that that exist for monitoring and tracking. And again, trying to lead in the the space of transparency, the more, and and this podcast and and your time today is a perfect example of that. We want to raise awareness about of this issue, bring stakeholders together to help respond to the issue and let folks know why it's uh, important and why it's in their direct personal and family interests. I think you've done a really great job talking about interagency cooperation and how the USG is supporting multilateral efforts in Latin America coordinating IUU fishing. If there's anything else you want to add on that, that would be great. And I also would like to put on the table a question related to this, which is, Why is this a priority for the Biden-Harris administration? 
Yeah, thank you. Like I say, I, I think we are uh, upping our game. We have uh, fortunately weighed in and, and the U.S. government led the development of uh, the 2019 Maritime Security and Fisheries Enforcement Act, which helps us codify uh, some of these issues that we've been talking about, that we will commit to a whole of U.S. government approach to IUU fishing and to maritime security and coordinate all of our uh, domestic resources, so both for our own domestic fisheries industry, but then also our maritime capabilities, our, our U.S. Navy, our Coast Guard, our diplomatic efforts, our law enforcement efforts. It was critical for us to be able to map all of this out and map our commitment to these issues uh, by law, which is the, the Maritime Security Fisheries Enforcement Act, the SAFE Act of 2019. And now we're really trying to up our game in enforcing that and in working with our partners uh, globally through the Port Stage Me Measures Act that I mentioned, the Port State Measures Agreement, better coordination, better use and enforcement of uh, international treaties in the IUU fishing space. I can say that our uh, under the Biden administration that we have increased our interagency sync uh, coordinations and meetings about what we're seeing, where are there hot spots, where are there trends, how can we work together and be proactive to mitigate challenging circumstances. You know, as one example, we know these distant fishing fleets have um, seasonal patterns. At this time of year, for example, in, in our summer, they're operating in the, for our region and the Pacific coast of South America. The trend will be for them to then swing to the Atlantic shores where there'll be a, a greater challenge for Argentina, Uruguay, and Brazil. So working with this act, working in a more cohesive fashion, working with our partners. And again, I really think awareness and, and transparency and coordination are the most effective tools that we have towards making a difference in the space, making a difference towards the negative trends, frankly, in the, in the uh, fisheries, biodiversity, sustainability that I alluded to. It is so complex for the reasons I mentioned at the outset that there's really no other choice. We must be in sync across the U.S. government agencies and with our international partners to raise awareness and to track and to, and to be transparent and to communicate when illegal and unregulated fishing takes place in international and, and uh, domestic waters. Michael, is there something that we did not cover that you would like to highlight or add? Well, we've covered quite a bit in, in a short period of time. I do want to, and I hope I've uh, addressed, why should I care about this uh, part aspect of the question? This really is something that is not only a nature lover's uh, issue, you know, that we, we should care about our oceans and our sustainability of our fisheries. It really is something that touches on many of the development issues that USAID uh, works on globally, including human rights issues and, and the safety for people to earn a living in a safe and dignified way and not become victims of human slavery. It really touches on economic sovereignty issues and allowing some poor and, and food insecure countries to be able to manage their fishing stocks and their, their, their own food security way that allows for their uh, you know, dignity and, and sovereignty. And as I mentioned, it, you know, it trickles in and, and impacts our uh, U.S. domestic fishing industry as well, that when illegal fishing, unsustainable fishing takes place, it impacts U.S. jobs, it impacts U.S. stocks and, and fisheries and oceans that can have not only bottom line food security uh, and, and, and job issues, but also, you know, tourism, environmental damage on, on our coastlines, all things that uh, really make this not only 
an international issue, but a, a national, a domestic concern as well. So from USAID's perspective, we're, we're trying to raise awareness, uh, raise interest, raise support, because it uh, this is one of those cases that it truly does take all of us, uh, it takes the community to make a difference. So um, again, I thank CSIS for creating the space, creating the series uh, for us to be able to talk about these issues and what we're trying to do from our humble perspective from USAID to try to make a difference in this space. And we thank Michael Eddy for joining us in 35 West. We appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you all very much. Appreciate it. For you, thank you again for joining. Stay tuned for the next episode of 35 West. <laughs>